God has blessed me beyond measure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've had a great life, and uh, I, I want to be remembered not as a great fisherman. I, I guess I, I'd like on my tombstone, I did this, I did this, I did that. And in spite of all those distractions, he still lived for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Stuttering Your Way to Success with me, Eric Weir, and my special guest today, Hank Parker. We've been good friends for probably 15 years now. Yeah, I've been fishing with him in Louisiana, in Georgia, North Carolina, and I can tell you, if he can help me catch fish, he can help anybody <laughs> catch fish, no doubt about it. We've had so much fun together. So, so what got you into fishing in the first place? Well, let me first of all go back and tell you, you were a quick study. We, uh, <laughs> we went on about uh, seven or eight fishing trips together, and uh, you were really green on that first one. But by that last trip, you, you picked it up pretty good, man. <laughs> you, you're doing great. Uh, you caught a huge Jack Crevel, which is the pullingest fish pound for pound in the ocean. And you caught that thing on bass tackle. So pat yourself on the back. Well, you did you. good. I, I had some good coaching. I do remember <laughs> hooking you one time. I'm like, ooh, I guess, is that a party foul? <laughs> you with a hook. Now, that, we were fishing with whopper ploppers one time. Oh, we, yeah. were, we were doing the, yeah. the, the topwater casting in Louisiana, if I recall, right. in Burris, Louisiana. And uh, we caught, was it over 100 in one episode? It, it was the craziest thing. It was uh, the first time anybody had ever used those whopper ploppers. And uh, the redfish were just going nuts over them. And we did. We were there for, uh, we actually fished two days. We were there two and a half days, but we caught over 100. Mm. And they averaged about 30 pounds a piece. So it wasn't like we were catching a little bitty fish. It took 15 minutes to get one in the boat once you hooked him. So yeah, I remember, I remember looking for a knife, wanting to cut the line a few times. I'm like, this is a lot of work. What is, a, what is going on here? So what, I mean, you, 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 I mean I, you're, you're a professional fisherman. You've won multiple bass masters. And I could read all the things you've accomplished. It's just you're, you're, the, you're the top in your industry of hunting and fishing, entertaining, and, and, and representing your faith, giving back to others. I mean, you're, you're, you're a person I have a lot of respect for, but, but what got you into, to, in, into fishing and w what started it? You know, that's something that uh, it, it was just a magical moment for me. Uh, a lot of people talk about love at first sight or, or that sort of thing, and I guess that's what fishing was for me. I just, it, it was bigger than anything that I'd ever done. It meant more to me. You know, a lot of kids like to go to the circus or the carnival or go ride the uh, roller coasters or Ferris wheel. Man, just take me fishing. Let, let me go to a pond. Give me a bobber and a, a, a pack of red worms and, and let me go fishing. I, I was more alive and more thrilling and more fulfilled um, when I was on a creek uh, on the lake, a pond, it, it didn't yeah. matter, man. It made me come alive, and it was just, uh, it was just something that got me from the very first time I ever went. I remember the first time I went fishing with you. We started late by fishing standards, like 10 a.m., because I was driving up from another part of the state, and and I, I came up and talked to you. I said, "What you been doing all morning?" Good. I've been fishing. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You go fishing before you go fishing. So I, to, I believe he really does love fishing. Yeah. He used to drive my wife crazy. I'd be going on a on a, a, a fishing trip for a bass tournament, which I did for a living, and be gone for 
two weeks, come home, be home two days, and and leave. She said, where are you going? I'm going fishing. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's not for a tournament. It's just because I love it. It's, yeah, it's, that's it's, true. That's fantastic. <laughs> so you, you, you've you been fishing with with, 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 with handicapped veterans. You you take children fishing. You you introduce people. T- 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 tell me one or two stories of a, of, of a celebrity or somebody we may know who you, who you fish with. What was that like? You know, the celebrities is, is really fun. I fish with Dale Earnhardt. I fish with Larry Bird. I fish with Tony Dungy. Tony was different. Uh, uh, I fish with Bo Jackson, and uh, these guys hate to lose. And <laughs> you know, you, you think about that. I could never compete with Dale Earnhardt on race car, on a, a racetrack. Right, right. I, I could never compete with Bo Jackson on a baseball field or a football field. And Larry Bird would have killed me on a basketball court. But yet they thought they were getting my boat and they're going to outfish me. <laughs> they don't like to lose. And That's I mean, amazing. it just really is it, yeah. funny. Uh, Bird and I had a, had a ball. I, I caught a big fish right off the bat and I ragged him so bad he was trying to knock it off my line. You know, <laughs> we, we had so much fun. And then Bo, Bo really, man, he, he wanted to win. So I laid out about nine lures that I was going to fish with and rods. And I said, Bo, what you want to fish with? And he looked at every lure I had and he, he named everything I had on. Oh, my word. <laughs> he wanted exactly what I had. So. <laughs> but he was a great sport and uh, incredible fisherman. Uh, good times. And you look back, we're doing a YouTube show now, and it's called a Rewind. So I'm looking back at those old shows, and it's so much fun to see those guys. Of course, Dale Earnhardt and I was great friends. I miss him so bad, but it's fun to look back and look at him smile, and we had such a good time. And it's uh, the fishing show. You know, I've been doing it now 39 years, and I still wow. love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I remember we were on a boat one day fishing, and I – I've got to have it. I just ask questions. I'm curious. I'm like, Hank, what are you going to do when you retire? And he go, Eric, I don't, I don't know what you do when you retire from fishing. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things. I might get a job. Yeah, you know? I might get a job. I don't want to have to do that. That sounds crazy. Man. So, 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 you know, fishing is one of those things where you have time. You're, there's strategy. You're, you're, you have to react to the environment. You have to change lures, change bait, change techniques. And yet, at the same time, you can have community at the same time. So how do you think that, that, that fishing builds relationships? Well, first of all, let me tell you, I, I started my show, and I started my show right after I won the, the second world championship, and everybody assumed my show was going to be on tournament strategies and how to read water and get pretty technical on how to use certain baits and, and look at fishing from a uh, tournament perspective. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that at all. I, I looked at fishing for what it's really about. Fishing's about camaraderie. It's about sharing. Mm-hmm. It's about enjoying uh, God's great outdoors that he's blessed us with. And uh, it's about having a good time. Mm-hmm. And tournament fishing's not like that at all because you you got 5,000 people out there competing for about 10 jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's a very competitive environment. So uh, you, you have to be on your A game and you have to push yourself and you put yourself in a position that you can be competitive against the best in the world on different bodies of water. So there's a lot of, a lot of demands. But fishing itself is absolutely the greatest sport uh, that I've ever been involved in. And it gives you a chance with a child, for example, Mm-hmm. We all, as parents, and I have uh, five children and 19 grandchildren, we all push 
to, to instill in them values, principles, and to help build their character. And a lot of times we'll do that on the way to school in the morning mm-hmm. when it mm-hmm. doesn't fit. They got 10,000 things on their right. mind. Right. You're driving in traffic <clears throat> and you're trying to force feed, but you can take them fishing and get out there and get in that environment and just relax and let them become one with you, win their confidence, and just create an environment that's conducive to communicating. Mm-hmm. And you can do so much more. I look back at my own kids and uh, some of the greatest moments we've ever had were not days we caught great numbers of fish, but that we just had time. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. we, we were in that environment that it just removed all the barriers. They didn't mm. feel that they had to give me answers. It was just all uh, subtle, calm, mm-hmm. and um, just a great environment to communicate. Mm. That's, that's fantastic. Well, you're a great communicator. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that that I've been uh, one of the first things I, I did is we uh, worked something with the FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and you had the Hank Parker shoot. I was the very first oh, one. Yeah, that's great. I'm not sure what number. I think we're, we're, we have 12, one. Number twelve. Number twelve. Yeah. We have one in a couple of weeks, and. I can thank you for uh, the auction items there. I didn't realize that when you buy when you buy some of those, you end up in Africa, and you thought the auction was the expensive part. Turns out it wasn't. You know, yeah. this is what you did in Africa was a lot more expensive. And getting there and getting back, but, but, but what memories it created? I can say for, out of that event came times that I had with my children on the safari or on uh, hunting or fishing expeditions, and I just wouldn't have had otherwise. And you couldn't have convinced me otherwise. I just wouldn't, didn't even think about that. But what you said is so true in building relationships and having m- memories that, that, that you th- think about. Is there a fishing story that to you that just comes back as, man, this is, this is the fishing story for me? Is, there's got to be one. I won the Bassmaster Classic, which is the world championship, and it's a life-changing event. When mm-hmm. you, you win the Bassmaster Classic, you have an opportunity to make a lot of money, and it's a life-changing for me especially because I came from a background without a lot of money, and then all of a sudden I had all this opportunity. Well, I did that, uh, won that first Bassmaster Classic, only my second year on tour. So mm. I didn't have full appreciation for it. Well, then that was in 1979. And in 1989, I won it the second time. And uh, that I knew how important it was then. Mm-hmm. I knew how meaningful it was. And I had already established myself uh, with a lot of great manufacturers. So I knew it was going to be more lucrative for me. And it was going to be my springboard to retire from competitive fishing and, uh, and, and go back and spend time with my kids, mm-hmm. which I had mm-hmm. uh, neglected to do like I wanted to do for so many years. So uh, no one had ever won, and I'll set this up for, for my fishing story. Uh, no one had ever won what they call the Grand Slam, and that would be a qualifying tournament. That would be Bass Angler of the Year. That would be a super tournament and Bassmaster Classic. No one had ever done that. So uh, they called that the Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be the first guy to ever do that. Well, the, you only have one opportunity per year for, for three of the four events. So I had never won a super tournament, which was their big money tournament. And that particular year that I set that quest, was it was on uh, Lake Lanier right out of Atlanta, Georgia, and mm-hmm. Gary Klein from Orville, California. 
he jumped out to a big lead. And the last day, I caught the biggest stringer of the fish, uh, biggest stringer of the tournament. So Ray Scott, who was the founder of Bass and the Waymaster, uh, he just went on. Hank Parker, Denver, North Carolina, the biggest string. Let's hold them up and went nuts. And we held them up and walked up and down the stage. And I took the lead mm-hmm. by 10 pounds and 9 ounces. Wow. So Gary Klein came in, and he said, all right, Gary, uh, you got to have 10-10 to win, 10-9 to tie. Put them on the scales. They didn't hold them up. They didn't do anything. He put them on the scales. He had 10-10. I lost by one ounce. Mm. But lessons you learn the hard way are very <laughs> valuable. That's a title that gives you boasting rights within uh, your fraternity of other anglers. Right. It doesn't pay any money. Right. It's just a title. Right. And so uh, it, it worked out good because the very next year it was on the St. John's River in Florida, the Super Tournament was, and I won it. But then three years later, we got the Bassmaster Classic, the life-changing financial tournament that just makes everything, puts you in a whole different level, uh, was on the James River in Richmond, Virginia. Deja vu. Jim Bitter jumps out to a big lead. Uh, I come in the last day with the biggest string of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Ray Scott, the Waymaster. Mm-hmm. Hank Parker, Denver, North Carolina, the biggest string of the tournament, let's hold him up. Nope, Ray, I'm not gonna hold him up. He grabbed me by the head, put his mic down, and he said, look, it's gonna be a lot more dramatic if you'll hold these fish up. Uh, I said, Ray, it's enough drama for me like it is, put them on the scales. <laughs> so uh, I finally, reluctantly, I, I talked him into putting them on the scales, and he did, and I won by two ounces. Oh, wow. And I held those fish up and let all those water drops drop off of them. I'd have never won that tournament. So <laughs> oh, wow. lessons you learn the hard way come wow. back. So that's my favorite fishing fish story. Oh, wow. Put them on the scales, I'm not holding them up. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, you also hunt, too. You, yes, sir. You, you hunt turkeys and Tell, tell me about that. I, I, it's, I've had some, some funny stories with, with turkeys myself and, and, uh, and hunting and you know, the calling. There's, a real, there's an art form to it. It so really tell, is. Tell me and about, that, about it's that. the most uh, fulfilling and, and addictive sport there is, I think, is turkey hunting. But I, uh, I'm one of very few people that I've killed the World Slam. I finished it last year in Mexico where I killed the oscillated turkey. But I've killed the World Slam with a bow. Oh, wow. And uh, we got it all on video. We've made mm. TV out of it. So it's pretty cool that uh, I can say I'm one of just a handful of people in the world that have, have, have done that. And uh, I did it just to – I had, had a guy that questioned my credentials one day. So uh, I, I wanted to pull that off. And I, I told him, and this is braggadocious, and, <laughs> and I don't really uh, go for all that, but I, I really wanted to kind of shut this guy down. And uh, <laughs> So I'm the only sportsman alive that's ever won a world championship uh, fishing title, uh, killed a Boone and Crockett uh, white-tailed deer and a Pope and Young white-tailed deer, Boone and Crockett wow. elk and uh, – uh, uh, Pope and Young Elk and the World Slam of uh, Wild Turkey. So, oh with my the boat. word! Wow! So nobody will ever top no, no. that. I mean, You're done now, I, right? I, that'll yeah. be a legacy yeah. that I'll, yeah. I'll carry that title. Got, I think I'll be the only guy in the world to ever do that. So that's pretty cool. You know? <laughs> but that's a big deal. I mean, yeah. it, it's yeah. really not, but it, it's pretty cool to be able to say that when somebody says, "Well, what's your credentials? You're a fisherman. Why are you hunting?" <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, right. Well, that's right. That's right. That's right. Bring it on. No, no doubt. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. So you you, you, you have an event, uh, the Hank Parker shoot. Tell me about that and why do you do it? Yeah, boy, that's a great event. It's a sporting clay event we have over at Frank Harrison's place in uh, 
in Lancaster, South Carolina. Uh, it's a sporting clay shoot that we raise money for the FCA, for Cleve McClary Ministries. Cleve is a, uh, a wounded Vietnam mm -hmm. vet that preaches the gospel. Uh, Tim Lee, a wounded Vietnam veteran that preaches the gospel and Emmaus Road Partners who take the gospel to businesses and help them establish. Those are the four uh, charitable events uh, mm -hmm. or recipients of this event. And uh, we started out mm -hmm. uh, just to help uh, FCA. Mm -hmm. And that's where I came from. I spoke at an FCA event last night in Nashville. Uh, but a friend of mine asked me once, you know, I never was a real athlete. I, I squirrel hunted and mm -hmm. dove hunted, and those mm -hmm. two-a-day football practices were right in the middle of squirrel season. <laughs> right. There wasn't any way. You know, you right. couldn't fish. And right. So I, I, no, 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 that wasn't me. So he, uh, a friend of mine asked me one day, he said, what, what involvement do you have with the FCA? And I said, you know, I really I'm, I wasn't a jock, and I just uh, i I've never been involved. He said, well, do you realize that they're one of the only organizations that's taken the gospel of Jesus Christ to public schools? I said, no, I didn't realize that, but I need to be involved. And that mm -hmm. was about 17 years ago. I got involved. We did the first shoot, and, uh, man, we raised $30,000. We thought that was awesome. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think last year we raised a little over 130. So That's fantastic. That's so great. It's a great event. Great event. So, so, so tell me about, you know, what, what happens at, at, at the event? I mean, could teams come and they shoot and you, you share? We, we have a great time. First of all, we just started doing this about five years ago. We have an incredible speaker that will come in on Thursday night, and then the, 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 uh, uh, the shoot is then on Friday. So this year we've got an awesome guy. He's an author. Uh, who's eating your pie, uh, uh, stuttering your way to success, uh, host of a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That he's going okay. to yeah. be our, yeah. our Thursday yeah. night speaker. And I'm anxious. <laughs> we've had Frank Harrison, the president oh, of Coca-Cola. No, absolutely. And, uh, so we've had a lot of great speakers. Sure. And so we've got a really great speaker. Oh, this, well, this, well, this big time. shoes to so, fill there on Thursday. Uh, we'll see that's we interesting. Do. Then we have, um, we have all kind of great food. Mm -hmm. We have incredible auction, uh, silent auction items. And uh, I usually speak and give my testimony at lunch. And then everybody has all these uh, uh, competition. We have a flurry shoot, which is the most fun thing you can oh, it do. it is a tremendous amount of fun. No Five-man team, and now right. I mean they're going and you're shooting. And it, it's, it's so fun. It yeah. is so much fun. And Absolutely. so this year they're going to have an Annie Oakley, which is a, is a neat uh, concept. Uh, Hutz uh, Eckerson, who is a NFL uh uh, retiree is oh, okay. uh, helping us put that on. So uh, Great. Uh, we have a lot of celebrities there, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Ryan Suckup, the yeah, winning oh, field yeah. goal kicker of, uh, of the uh, uh, Tampa Bay Bucks two mm -hmm. years ago or three years yep. ago when they yep. won the Super Bowl. Ryan Absolutely. Absolutely. The, uh, so he usually comes out and be yeah. and has a part in it. So that's fantastic. Big deal. Yeah, he, he's, he's a very nice guy. So you've gone from, from hunting uh, to fishing now. NASCAR. What got you into NASCAR? <laughs> oh, Lord, you sound like Dale Earnhardt Jr. He, they <laughs> killed me. My son was on his uh, podcast the other day, and they just ripped me apart. But uh, <laughs> uh, I loved it. I, uh, I got, we got started racing go-karts, and then uh, Dale Earnhardt and I were great friends, and we deer hunted together. So he and Dale Jr., I went to pick up some lunch, uh, and they were all sitting on the front porch of my little house down there on my farm in Union. And so while I was gone, uh, Dale Jr. and Hank Jr. got talking racing. So Dale Sr. gave Hank 
one of uh, Dale Jr. street stock cars, oh my unbeknownst Lord. to me. Oh, wow. And uh, wow. That, that was kind of the start. You know, that's a drug addict, <laughs> you know, the pusher. He, right. he, he gave him that addictive NASCAR, and that's what got it started. And then they were having so much fun. I thought, well, I'm going to be a part of it. So I, I raced late models, and uh, uh, my wife would take my kids, and uh, they would say, it was not uh, if Daddy wrecks, it's when he wrecks. <laughs> <laughs> when he wrecks, he's not going to get hurt. Yeah, he'll be okay. So, uh, how, uh, how fast are you going? In, in, we, in, we've raced a little. Uh, I raced a late model uh, uh, super sport car, and uh, we come at Concord Motor Speedway, which does not exist now, mm -hmm. which is a shame. It was just an awesome speedway. Uh, they, it didn't have a turn two. You come off a of turn one and it's just a dog leg down the back stretch to go into three. So you'd come off a of turn one doing about 60 miles an hour, maybe 55, depending on where your tires, but you go into turn three doing about 140. Oh. So you'd really light it up down that back stretch through Whoa. that dog leg. It was Whoa. just a hoot to race. I wow. mean, it was... It's an adrenaline rush like nothing else. It's exciting. You 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 said something just in passing that I haven't really thought about. Being the condition of your tires, how often do you have to change your tires in a race? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, it makes a difference. After I, I raced one, two bush races. I raced one in Rockingham, North Carolina, and I raced one in Martinsville, uh, Virginia. And in Rockingham, North Carolina, after two laps. And, and if you're not experienced, I wrecked bad there. Mm. I wrecked really bad there. And uh, if you're not experienced, you don't realize. I mean, you run and you hit your marks and you get in the corner and you do everything right. And that car sticks mm. on the first lap, sticks on the second lap. On the third lap, your tires have already given up. You can't run it in there really? as hard. But I didn't know that. I learned that really good in the <laughs> in the in the little uh, Rockingham race, and I <laughs> I moved the turn two wall about three or four inches. Oh my word! It was awful. not good. That's but uh, the tires give up on you, and that's what when Hank Jr. raced, we raced together a lot at Concord, and they had a big ten series. And I could outqualify him. I ran a big carburetor, and a lot of times I'd outqualify him. It'd take him about five laps so he'd be passing me. Oh, and really? Then, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Then it'd take him about 20 more and he'd be lapping me. <laughs> <laughs> he'd always wave at me. <laughs> hey, Dad, in the mirror, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's yeah. hilarious. That's, yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. So, so you know, so you're you're in NASCAR, you're hunting. I mean, so so what's next for you? What what gets you excited well, today? You, you wrote a book, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to write me a book from rags to fishing to riches. Okay. To racing to rags. <laughs> I came full circle. I wasn't expecting that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I came full circle. Coffee over here. You, yeah. you can make a small fortune racing if you start with a large one. <laughs> that's right. It that's won't right. take you long. It won't take no, you long, right? Sorry. That's a good, good plan there, right? <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, so what do you want to be re re remembered as? I want to be a professional grandpa uh, going forward. That, that's where I'm at 19 now. grandkids, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Uh, but more than anything in my whole life, it's all about Jesus Christ. I, uh, mm. I started with nothing. I've been blessed. I was a high school dropout. I had a bad attitude. I had nothing whatsoever going for me. And I got saved when I was 22 years old. And, uh, 
you know, you look at life and you look at your circumstances and you, you have a lot of regrets and, and uh, it's frustrating to try to get a job with no education. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think about any of that once I got saved. I, I forgot about, you know, Jesus takes our past away. It's all gone. He wipes it out. Doesn't matter what you've done. It, it doesn't matter. He covers all that. It's gone. He don't even remember it anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave me that ability. I didn't think about being a dropout. I didn't think about I didn't have a chance. I just acted as if I had a uh, doctorate degree in whatever I wanted to do. Hmm. And uh, I, I, I just took whatever door was open. I just went through it. Mm-hmm. And God blessed me beyond any measure. And um, my favorite thing now is sharing the gospel. That's, uh, I said I did that last night. I went to an FCA banquet in Nashville and, and just basically told my story. I'm kind of like the blind man mm-hmm. uh, that when Jesus made clay and put it on his eyes, mm-hmm. told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the Pharisees questioned him. They said, well, tell us how this happened. I don't know how it happened. All I can tell you for sure is I was blind and now I see. Yeah. And that's kind of my story. And right. so I just tell w- what God has done in my life. And uh, it's, it's amazing as I look back on what God has given me and where I was. Uh, who I was is definitely not who I am. Mm-hmm. I still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, sanctification is a big part of, of being a Christian. But God has blessed me beyond measure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had a great life, and uh, I, I want to be remembered not as a great fisherman. I, I guess I, I'd like on my tombstone, I did this, I did this, I did that. And in spite of all those distractions, he still lived for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. That's great. If, if, you could, if someone's listening to the show right now, and they're, they're a teenager or they're in their early 20s, and they're like, you know, I want to become an expert angler. I want to learn. I want to kind of do, do what you did in this one area. Uh, what advice would you, would you have for them? There are nowadays, it is so easy. There is so much. I have a YouTube show. Kevin Van Dam, one of the greatest fishermen in the world, has a YouTube show. You can watch all the, the major tournaments on, on YouTube and Twitter and all the different devices. There's so much information out there. And the growing of sport throughout America in high schools is high school fishing. It oh. is on fire. And, uh, okay. So, and I mean, not only in the South, man, it's a big deal in the West and mm-hmm. the North and the East. And uh, so high school fishing is growing and it's, uh, it's a good thing to get in, involved and be a part of and you can learn. And, and everybody learns more when you have a, a, a little competition and a, another competitor in the boat. You learn mm-hmm. from each other. So mm-hmm. I'd say get, in, get on a fishing team and go for it. You, you talk a lot about learning. You know, and and being a student and being teachable, um, you know. So so, who who are your mentors now, or and who who were your mentors? Well, I, I my mentor, my heroes are all pastors. I, I'm just mm-hmm. I love pastors, and they they make all kind of sacrifices. I never really had Blake Honeycutt uh, was one of the first fishermen that really influenced me, and uh, and then uh, the first. World champion, won the first Bassmaster Classic was Bobby Murray. And I noticed one thing about Bobby Murray. He could catch fish in cold water, warm water, shallow water, deep water, clear water. He was versatile. And most fishermen are not like that. Most fishermen have their great spinnerbait fishermen or their good deep water structure fishermen Mm -hmm. or their good jig fishermen or their good crankbait fishermen. 
But Bobby Murray could catch them on anything. And I said, that's who I want to be like. Mm -hmm. I want to be able, no matter what, you know, a fishing lure is nothing but a tool. Mm -hmm. And you look at the water and you say, now, what tool do I have that most effectively fish this structure? And you choose that bait like a tool. And that's what Bobby Murray did. And he was my mentor. And now uh, I, I just try to watch these kids. We have forward-facing sonar. Mm. You can see the fish. You can see your lure. You can see your, the <laughs> fish come and eat your lure. It's very controversial. There are a lot of people that hate it. You know, it's kind of like being a lawyer 30 years ago when you read all the law books, and right. now an yeah. undergraduate student come out and he can Google <laughs> and anything right, you learn, right. he can find it in five seconds. Right, 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 you know? right, right, right. Yeah. And so that's kind of this forward-facing sonar. Kids that have not got a lot of experience on the water that should not be as far advanced, they're mm -hmm. winning tournaments because oh, really? they can read this forward-facing oh, sonar more effective. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time in our sport. It really is. And it's a lot of controversy surrounding it, but you're not going to stop it. All these people say, we've got to outlaw it. That's like, okay, 20 years ago, the, the legal profession would have liked to have made sure you couldn't Google law. Right, no doubt about that, no doubt about that. So, so, so where do you see bass fishing going? I mean, from, from tournament fishing with, with, with this new technology and, and it, all that's happening. It is. Uh, it's a growing sport. And um, conservation has been a very, very, very big part of all the tournament series. So catch and release, nobody keeps a fish anymore. Oh, interesting. And uh, it's, our sport is in good shape. Our waters are in good shape. The Great Lakes are the cleanest they've ever been. They're producing more bass than they've ever produced in the history of the Great Lakes. Uh, so our waterways are good. Uh, high school fishing is on fire. Uh, so I think uh, our sport's got a very, very bright future. How do organizations like Ducks Unlimited, I mean, how do they give back and how, how do they help the, 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 the sport? The, you know, we all are in this thing together and we all work closely together, whether it's the NWTF, National Wild Turkey Federation, whether it's Ducks Unlimited, uh, whether it's Anglers for Clearwater, whether it's the Bass Research Foundation. Mm -hmm. All these conservation organizations work together. And Johnny Morris, by the way, Johnny Morris with uh, Bass Pro Shops, he is, he's probably contributed more to conservation than any other 10 combined people in the world. Really? So he's on top of it. Wow. And so we consult with him, and mm -hmm. his, he's got a whole staff of people that just research what we need to do to preserve this waterway, what would make this fishery better. And so Johnny's on top of all of that. So that, he's kind of the, the, the head and the kingpin of what we should do to follow suit to mm -hmm. preserve our future and for our, my grandkids. Fantastic. How did you go from from being a, from fishing, being an angler, to starting a television show? Those had to be just different skill sets. When when I started fishing, I got in. I was kind of the the second uh, tier of professional fishermen. You know, the whole sport started in '68. 1968, and really got going about 1971. That's when they had the first world championship. That's when it really came to life, about 71. Well, I got involved in 1976, so I was about five years after the, the foundation was really built. And the industry itself, the, the, the rod manufacturers, the lure manufacturers, the reels and the fishing line, they weren't sure whether we were going to be able to have the influence on the marketplace that we have had, mm -hmm. as history shows. 
So they, it, it was hard to get a sponsor. Mm. It was hard to go to a Tom Bedell who owned Berkeley and say, hey, if you'll pay me this amount of money, I'll increase your sales. And so you had to win them over. Mm-hmm. Well, the only way you got notoriety in my day was to get enough relationship with outdoor and sports writers to do articles on you. Okay. So to self-promote, you didn't have a vehicle. So then television opportunity opened up. I thought, well, if I had my own television show, then I could promote myself every week. Right. And so that's that's was the outlook. Mm. And so I started in uh, 1984. We shot our first season, and uh, we're still going. How does social media change things? You know, Instagram every, and TikTok. How how how's it changed, and how, how are you adapting? The uh, the outdoor television universe like the the lead dog the largest outdoor television network and i won't call their name mm-hmm. but they had a universe of around 60 million oh wow four years ago mm-hmm. and today they've got a universe of about 19 million wow it is dying Interesting. uh linear television mm-hmm. is being you know the old Pac-Man deal, right? Right. right <laughs> Turn right. colors, and now it's eating yeah. linear right. television, right. and it's all social. So that's why we did a YouTube show. I still have, I still have a great base and a, a fan base and a viewer base, but they're all starting at about forty-eight years old and go through about eighty. Okay. Okay. I don't have anybody twenty and thirty and okay. and, and, and mm-hmm. early forties. Mm-hmm. They're all on YouTube and and social media and handheld devices. Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. cable guys. They're mm-hmm. not sitting down on the the recliner and mm-hmm. the couch and watching television. Mm-hmm. It, it's amazing how our culture's changed. That's uh, unless it's a live sport event, television is is dying fast. Wow. So, so you worked with Ranger Boats and have for, for years. How did that relationship start? Uh, with uh, Blake Honeycutt, the fisherman from Hickory, North Carolina. He and Forrest Wood. Forrest was the founder of Ranger. Uh, Blake and Forrest were friends, and uh, Blake became my hero catching big bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, he caught 138 pounds in New Fall, Alabama in 1971, and I, I, I've never gotten over that. I saw that picture, but uh, he had a Ranger boat. Uh, and the Ranger was written in stencil, mm-hmm. spray-painted on the side of the boat <laughs> with on. the phone number. Okay. And okay. Uh, uh, it, it cost about uh, $1,300 rigged yeah. out. Okay. My new Ranger boat is $111,000. No <laughs> so way. Wow. It, it's a lot different yeah. uh, from, yeah. from 1971 until uh, yeah. 2023. It's amazing. But I built that relationship with Forrest Wood, who was the founder and the owner, uh, and I, I've been able to maintain it. Johnny Morris now owns Ranger Boats, okay. and uh, but it's uh, it's still number one. It started out uh, first live well, you know, the first right. tournaments they they killed all the fish, put them on a stringer. Oh wow! And uh, Ray Scott said, Forrest, we got to figure out a way to put a live well in a boat. Mm. Forrest figured out how to do it, and then it became catch and release, and you actually got a penalty if your fish was was not alive. Wow! Goodness gracious! So, so do you think? Uh, do you do you think that that fishing's changing? You know, my social media, I guess the NASCAR even affiliated with. What's the future of NASCAR? How's that changing as well? 
NASCAR looks like they've had a bit of a resurgent here. They've been going down, 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 and uh, uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. They don't have the Dale Earnhardt personalities that they've mm -hmm. had in the past. Uh, it, it, NASCAR tries to keep it too clean. You don't have Bobby Allison and Kelly Yarborough and, and Donnie Allison fighting in the infield. <laughs> right, All right. that they thought right. was going to be disastrous was the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> right. right. It's so like they, WWF they, or something. Yeah, right? they yeah. took all that out, you know, <laughs> and so uh, uh, they're, they're mixing it up. All the cars tomorrow idea of every car being a cookie cutter car and, and engineers, and it's just not quite the same. NASCAR's got their challenges. There's no doubt a lot of challenges. Uh, Fishing as a whole, I think, is very, very healthy, and I think it's going to continue to grow, but I think it's going to be carried uh, uh, by YouTube and different mm -hmm. devices, and it's not going to be like it has been for me. So uh, old dogs don't like to change. That's you know? right. So, so it's monetized differently you yeah. know, it, th th through YouTube now. And that's yeah, sponsors yeah. and that's, that's where it's going. So wow. Uh, wow. We live in a different world. I, I think a lot of this, to be able to have information, uh, is incredible. But if you don't totally understand that information, you didn't earn it, you didn't figure it out. You know, I can write an article on how to use this particular lure, but I figured that out, and I completely understand all the elements that involved. But if you read that on YouTube, if you read that on uh, Facebook, or, or if you tweet that, you don't fully understand that. You read it, and you, you comprehend it, mm -hmm. but you don't have the total complete understanding as right. if you had discovered that right. on your own. And that's where I'm seeing a lot of kids struggle. Mm -hmm. I helped my son, Ben, who wanted to fish tournaments so bad, and I did him a disservice because I gave him information to the point that he didn't have to analyze it. He could just follow the instructions. Right. And he right. didn't learn it on his own. And right. so when things changed dramatically, he didn't understand what to do next. Gotcha. And that was a mistake on my part. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. So, so now watch your shows sometimes. Um, I, I've seen you more recently. You'll, you'll hunt with a, a, a veteran. You'll, you'll take a veteran hunting. T tell me about, the, about that experience. What's, what's that I, like? I do. I, I love our military, and I love our veterans, and I don't think we've paid them enough respect. And so it's always gratifying for me. I take them hunting. I take them fishing. Mm -hmm. And I work with the Outdoor Dream Foundation mm -hmm. to take uh, life-threatening illness children on fishing trips. And after you do that, and you just fish by yourself. It's a bit anticlimactic. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's such yeah. a thrill to see these guys lose themselves in the day, forget about all their troubles, and, and, and some of them are amputees. And mm -hmm. none of that seems to be relevant when we're in the boat or in the woods. And that's so cool. Mm. And it's very gratifying. And I, I enjoy that mm. a bunch. Great. If you were to talk to to your younger self, your your twenty five year old self, what advice would you give yourself? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, one, uh, slow down a little bit. You yeah. know, when when I was twenty five years old, I fished like my hair was on fire, right? And uh, I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, prioritize my time because I was under the gun. Like uh, literally, when I was twenty five years old, there were ten thousand people trying to get about 10 jobs. There were about 10 guys wow. on that top mm -hmm. tier that was really mm -hmm. making good money. Mm -hmm. And to stay up there when you got all that competition, uh, 
you put too much emphasis on your business and not enough on your family. Mm. And if I was 25 again, I'd say, do all you can do, but prioritize your life that you spend time with your wife and your children and don't let your job run you. You run your job. My job ran me mm-hmm. for probably 15 years. Mm-hmm. And one day I realized it. Mm-hmm. But I wish I had realized that at 25 instead of 40. Gotcha, gotcha. That's good advice. Have you ever felt, one thing things to talk about studio way of success or setbacks, and I don't call them failures, I call them setbacks or pauses, things of that nature. Uh, but there are points. Have you ever had a point you just feel like throwing in the towel? Well, this is too much. I'm, I'm through with this. Uh, you know, heads you win, tails disaster. Have you ever had that, that scenario? And what kept you going? I tell people, and we all want our kids to get great educations where they have lots of opportunities and options. Mm-hmm. In my life, I was a high school dropout. All I wanted to do is be successful at fishing. Fishing in the Bassmaster Classic, there's a lot of pageantry. But going across Lake Erie in 40-mile-an-hour winds Mm. in a downpour rain when it's 40 degrees outside and uh, it's life-threatening and you're miserable. You're soaked to the bone. You're freezing to death and you got eight hours before you get back to the weigh-in. And you think, what am I doing? This is a terrible job. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't have options. Mm-hmm. And I really honestly think had I had options, I would not have been as successful. Poverty is an incredible motivator. Right. I mean, it's incredible. I borrowed $10,000 on a 90-day note to start fishing. Mm. I had a bank note to pay. Mm-hmm. And I heard a lot of my competitors, you know, they paid 40 places. I heard a lot of my competitors say, well, I'm in 38th place. I'm not going to cross Lake Erie today just to make a bottom bottom check. Oh, I am. I mm-hmm. am. I'm going to cross it if I die. <laughs> right, I, I got right. a banknote to pay, yeah, brother. Right. I, yeah, that you're, bottom you're check. All in. Yeah. You're all in. Everybody right. said, well, I made the money more than any angler in the history of the sport. 78% of the time I made the money. I had to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a right. banknote. Right. And I didn't have options. Mm-hmm. Man, it's, it's make it or die. It's kind of like a tightrope walker, you know. Right. You, you, you fall, it's over. <laughs> yeah. So in, in my seat, I get to meet, I meet a lot of interesting people. I meet a lot of people of wealth or influence. And the people who are preparing documents and think about, about transferring their wealth, they always give them a pause. And they say, as much as I want to give them wealth, I want to give them the experience to get the wealth. How do you transfer experience? You've done it through fishing and time, but, but how do you recommend people today? And Maybe they don't fish. Maybe they, they, have, they have young children, or maybe they don't have quantity of time, but maybe they have some time. How should they invest in their, in their children or people, other people in their life that are important? Yeah, and that is so well uh, said, how to invest. And the most difficult position a person can be in, in my opinion, is to have a lot of wealth and have children. Mm-hmm. That is tough. That is tough. I have seen so many trust fund kids that are unmotivated, unfulfilled, unhappy, and suicidal. Mm-hmm. It, it is a real challenge for a dad, a mom, a family to instill in those children the value of the dollar when it's so easy for them on the exterior because you've worked and you've been successful. So 
It is a complete, absolute investment in your children. You, you cannot, you've got to engage. To have a lot of resources is very demanding because it is just like the 10,000 people wanting the 10 jobs. There's 10 million avenues that people are trying to take away what you have. So right. there's a, it's a battle. Right. And it occupies right. your time. Right. right. But those kids, you got to do it. You've got to engage them. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can't, I don't think, you can successfully transfer to them stocks and bonds and, and real estate and wealth uh, without training them and having them be a part of the process that manages them. And if you throw them to the dogs, uh, the worst thing you could do, in my opinion, is give a kid 25 years old a lot of inheritance. Mm -hmm. That's a bad deal. Mm -hmm. You're stripping him. I mean, he's there. He's never going to be able to build a foundation, especially if he's got a dividend check coming in every month for $300,000. Why in the world is he going to go out here and work for $10,000? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's a, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Warren Buffett gave his children a million dollars when they were younger, and I remember thinking how awful of a human being he must be to be uh -huh. that wealthy and do that. And now as the older you get, the perspective you get, that was a very wise thing to do. Um, so how do you bring people involved? We have people in the business that want to, they want to bring them in the business. You, you bring your children, children fishing. One man I talked to said he lets his children fail. That's a hard thing to do. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? And how do you recognize that it's, it, there's a greater purpose? I mean, how do you do that? Yeah. And it's, I tell when I talk about hunting with my kid, my two oldest boys, Billy and Hank Jr., they loved to hunt, when I, but we didn't have anything. And I would take a climbing stand, and I would nail a board uh, in a tree below my climbing stand and make them sit on that board. Mm -hmm. And they'd sit there for hours and hours <laughs> and hours, and I think, they're going to hate this sport. They love it. My later children, I made it easy for them. Mm -hmm. Man, we had, we had office chairs and enclosed blinds. <laughs> right, right. They can take it or leave it. Interesting. It, okay. it is so yeah. interesting. Yeah. And yeah. it's, uh, we try to make it too easy, and that's, that's, we're all guilty of that. Oh, 100%. And, 100%. And it's backfired on us. Right. I don't it, know it anybody. It hasn't worked. I don't, know, I don't know anybody who hasn't worked very hard, recognized the struggle and the pain they went through to get there, who, who doesn't want to save the next group the pain and the struggle. But the pain and the struggle is what turns a caterpillar into the butterfly. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what's so, so interesting. And we talk about a lot in the book. We're talking about faith, family, fitness, finance, friends. And how do you have balance? But better than balance, how do you have harmony? And I think the word isn't balance, but it's, really, it's how they all work together and live together. So as, as, as repair to close, uh, what steps do you take to, to seek harmony in your life? I, I try to engage my kids in my thought pattern. And, I, and what's really cool for me now, uh, I, Hank Jr. is like 48 years old. Timmy's 38, so the, they're 10 years between my oldest and my youngest. My kids call me all the time for advice. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got uh, Billy selling commercial real estate. He calls me all the time. Dad, what do you think about this idea? Mm -hmm. and, and, and a lot of times he'll stop and say, wow, that is so enlightening. I never even thought of that. Man, thanks, Dad. Mm -hmm. that, that is the most gratifying as a father uh, to have, uh, have kids in their 40s and 50s calling you and asking 
uh, for your your advice. That's and fantastic. So I I try to ask them advice also. Oh sure, absolutely. Uh, my absolutely. son Billy's taught me more about <laughs> archery than than anybody in the world. Yeah. Th- things that I I didn't understand. He he would slow down and say, Dad, no, that's not right. That's not you're wrong. You need brace height to be this. You need this. You mm-hmm. need this. And he's right every time. You oh, know? No way. Wow. So it's amazing uh, the interaction and family's so important. It is so important. And at the end of the day, if you've got your family and you've got them all saved and, and on the way to heaven, uh, it's all good. And if you don't, it don't matter how much you have. That's a fact. That's a fact. Great. Well, thank you for, for, for being on Seaway hey, Success today. Thank you, my buddy. Uh, thank you for joining us on another episode of Studying Away Success with my special guest, Hank Parker. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yes, sir, buddy. Thank, thank you. you.